And I'm going to start by just saying that God's heart is for restoration. Will you guys say that with me? God's heart is for restoration. If you get nothing else out of today, walk away with that. God's heart is to restore his people. Since the need for restoration arose, God has been restoring people. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for the sin that they committed. But God didn't abandon them. He gave them clothing. He engaged in conversation with them. He gave them children. Cain, their son, Cain killed his brother and then received discipline from God. In Genesis 4, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to them, said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. God's heart is for restoration. Abraham. Like I mentioned, the, the, the kids are learning about Abram right now, uh, who becomes Abraham. They're going to talk about his name change next week. Uh, though, but we learn that Abraham lied multiple times. And even though he lied, showing his distrust for God, God continued to restore that relationship and didn't give up on his promise to Abraham. Jacob, God chose Jacob before he was born. Jacob did his own thing often, but God kept restoring that relationship. One great example is Jacob's wrestle with the angel. Moses, Moses was protected by his mother. He finally figures out who he is. He kills an Egyptian. He runs off to the desert and then God brings him back to Egypt, to free the nation and to lead them up to the promised land. Again, God's heart is for restoration. King David has his issue with Bathsheba and God restores him via Nathan the prophet. Jonah runs from God and God restores him, even though Jonah will have none of it. And that's a whole story in and of itself. But even for the nation of Israel, again and again, God offers mercy and forgiveness. I love what it says in Ezekiel 14. It says, therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. I do this to recapture their hearts 
God's heart is for restoration, and this is exactly why Jesus came. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in Mark 15, uh, and it also says this in Matthew 27, when Jesus dies, and Jesus uttered a loud, loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the centurion who was facing him, when he saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. And many of you know the significance of that temple curtain which had blocked people from entering the holy holies and having that direct relationship with God. And Jesus' death split that open and restored that relationship. God's heart is for restoration. We're in the sixth week of our series on the book of Jeremiah. And today we're in chapters 30 to 33, so go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. We see God's heart for restoration here in Jeremiah. And as we look at it, it might be a, come as a shock based on how evil these people were. Wait, 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 wait. You're restoring them? Along the same lines of Cain and of Jonah, to name a few, we look sometimes and we go, wait, you're restoring that person. You're restoring that relationship? As we've been learning throughout the book of Jeremiah, (sighs) these are wicked people. They're adulterers. They're idolaters. They're liars. They're unrepentant. They're hard-hearted. But what this does more than anything is it shows the beauty of God's heart to restore. But this passage also shows the path to restoration, and it's not an easy one. We see that on the way to restoration, God disciplines and wants life change and repentance. See, restoration is hard. Anyone that's done any type of home restoration or car restoration or garden restoration, or any other type of restoration can tell you that it's not a one-step process. And neither is restoration with our Savior. We will see this all in our passage today. Let me pray. God, your heart is for restoration. We just sang about it. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. But I wouldn't have gotten there without you. God, thank you for your word and just for the opportunity to dive in. And God, as we're diving in, um, continuing to dive into just a difficult book, the book of Jeremiah, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that as we look at, um, God, how you worked with the nation of Israel, God, that we would see your love and your passion in your heart for restoration. God, allow your words to speak strongly and, and, and truly this morning. 
God, so that we hear what we need to hear from you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read all of Jeremiah 30 together. A whole chapter. And as we go, uh, look for God's discipline. Look for his desire for life change and look for his heart for restoration. This chapter in particular has a good balance of all three. Uh, chapters 31 through 33, which is also a part of our passage this morning, focus more on restoration. Now, we don't often do this, uh, but I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able or if you'd like to out of reverence for God's word. Now, of course, reverence begins in the heart, uh, so there's no judgment if you don't stand. But sometimes I like to stand just to have uh, my body remind uh, myself of where my heart should be. So, if you'd like to, feel free to stand as we read Jeremiah 30 together. These are God's words. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hand on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and from your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among you whom I scattered, or among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion, for whom none cares. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. 
Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all who oppress them. Their princes shall be one of themselves. Their rulers shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Go ahead and have a seat. You see the back and forth? You see the good and the bad and everything in between in this passage? So let's dive in. As we go, we're going to look at God's discipline. We're going to look at Israel's repentance and God restoring his people. And we begin with discipline. Now let me begin by clarifying. There's a difference between discipline and trial and natural consequences. Pain in life is caused by all sorts of different things. And it's an important, it's important to make a distinction as we talk about discipline. Because we're not talking about having a horrible day because people were being mean to you, calling you names, etc. That's an example of a trial, and a simple example of a trial. We're not talking about running into a pole because you're not paying attention or falling off your bike as you're learning to ride it. These are examples of natural consequences. Neither of these are discipline. Rather, discipline, the Oxford uh, Dictionary defines discipline as the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. But let me point to a more biblical definition of discipline. Discipline is loving correction by an authority figure in response to sin. Loving correction by an authority figure in response to sin. See, discipline begins with sin. That's what sets it apart from trials or natural consequences. Sin. Again, the people of Judah, the people that we've been reading about through the book of Jeremiah, these were wicked people. Adulterers, idolaters, liars, unrepentant, hard-hearted. So the discipline that we're reading about is God's loving correction toward his people in response to their sin. We know what God's discipline was for Judah. Exile. We know that as they're being disciplined, they're reading this. They're sitting in exile as they're reading this. So they get insight into why they're sitting here. What's going on? Why am I here? Oh, yeah, I'm being disciplined. Now, let me point out a couple of things, and then we'll we'll dive in. First of all, in verse 2, verse 2 says uh, to write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. God is making sure that all of this gets written down. 
again, when we began this series, we talked about the fact that there's significance to the fact that these words were written down. Whereas some of the other prophets uh, that we know about, we don't have what they, what they said written down. So it was important right here again, we see that God wanted this written down. That way it gets read again and at the proper time. God knew that the Israelites wouldn't repent. So he knew that they would head into exile. But again, as we started with, God's heart is for restoration. And so he made sure that as they went into exile, they had his words to read and to reflect on so they would be reminded of all that he said to them. Now in verse 3, it says, uh, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the nation of Judah. Uh, remember, after King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And so there were two separate nations and separate kings and all that kind of stuff. And about a hundred years before Jeremiah was written, the, the ten northern tribes of Israel were taken off to Assyria um, and that was their discipline. And now here the, these last two tribes of Judah are, are being taken off as well. And so why in the world is, is Israel getting mentioned here? We've got Israel and Judah. Well, hold on. I thought this was just for Judah. It, no. Because God's not treating them as separate. He's treating them as the one nation that they have always been. Again, this points to God's heart for restoration. They are all my people. Not just Judah, but Judah and Israel together. They are my people. And so my heart is to restore all. And so as we go through this passage, through these four chapters, we're going to see mentions to Jacob, which is also called Israel. So that, again, is a, a reference to the whole nation. Uh, we're going to see references to Ephraim as well. Ephraim often returns to the ten northern tribes, but again, it's still referring to the Hebrews. So we're going to have many different names mentioned, but again, we're, we're constantly talking about the Hebrews, and we're constantly seeing God's heart for restoration. We learn three things about discipline here in Jeremiah. First, we learn that discipline is painful. Revolutionary concept, right? <laughs> Hardly. This is all over the book of Jeremiah. Uh, two of the themes that we're looking at as we go through the book are the themes of lament and judgment. They're lamenting because they're under discipline. And they're handling, they're dealing with judgment. Discipline is painful. Look again at verses 5 through 7, and then we'll look at 12 through 15. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? No. <laughs> Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob. Yet, he shall be saved out of it. 
Then down to 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable. Your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound. No healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy. The punishment of a merciless foe. Because your guilt is great. Your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Your guilt is great. Your sins are flagrant. Because of that, I have done these things to you. Terror, no peace, like labor pains, time of distress, incurable hurt and pain, no medicine or healing. Discipline is painful. In chapter 31, verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. In Hebrews 12, uh, this is a passage we're going to look at a little bit later, but in verse 11 it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And every child would say, Amen. <laughs> we're going to come back to this again um, a little bit later. In Proverbs 22:15 it says folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It doesn't say the cotton candy of discipline, it doesn't say the loving hug of discipline and says the rod of discipline. Discipline is meant to be painful. Proverbs 23, it says, do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Discipline is meant to be painful. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. The pain of my discipline, uh, for the most part growing up, was around shame. Uh, I remember very vividly uh, getting letters sent home from my teacher every day in third grade because I couldn't shut my mouth. I just talked and talked and talked regardless of where I was sitting. And so it was so bad that every day I had to get go up and get a note from my teacher sent home so that she could report to my parents how I did in class. It was shameful. Every other kid is leaving. Ben, what are you doing? I have to go get a note from the teacher again. Yeah. Awful. I also remember getting called out by my ninth grade teacher for breaking a rule in front of the entire class. Loudly, up in front of it, Ben, get up here. You did this and this and this. There was shame attached to that. Now I want to say this. If you're experiencing pain, have you asked yourself if God is disciplining you? Now, let me clarify and be really careful with this. Just because you're experiencing pain, it does not mean that God is disciplining you inherently. One is not the other. In fact, the book of Job, the, the main argument throughout the whole book is around this concept. Well, Job, you're experiencing pain, so therefore God must be disciplining you. What did you do wrong? Confess it, and everything will be a-okay, hunky-dory. God doesn't work that way. We learn that not only through the book of Job, but throughout the entirety of Scripture. Sometimes pain is there for a lot of different reasons. 
And we talked about that earlier. We talked about how pain comes through trials sometimes, how pain comes through natural consequences sometimes. Sometimes pain comes through the enemy and through his working. But sometimes pain comes through discipline. Sometimes pain comes through discipline. So it's a question worth asking. If you're dealing with pain, it's worth looking at your life. Is there a habitual sin that I haven't worked out? Is there something God is trying to teach me in here? It's really easy to fall the other direction. Well, this is just another trial I'm going through. But maybe... Maybe God is in the midst of disciplining you. So it's worth asking the question. So discipline is painful, but discipline is also purposeful. Discipline is purposeful. We read... Uh, in 30, verse 15, he says, God says, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. God did what he did because of their sin. And in the next couple of verses, uh, we see why. And he says, I'm going to restore health to you. I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for you. In verse 24, we see this again. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Until he has accomplished the intentions of his mind. See, there's an intentionality behind God's discipline. Contrary to what a lot of people think about God. Now, and that that button says smite, if you can't see that. He's... God's hitting the smite button. Um, contrary to this idea, God is not out to get this, get us. He does what he does for our benefit. Now, we may not understand right away why he's doing what he's doing. But a goal is understanding. And again, his goal is restoration. Look at verse 1 of chapter 31, right after this, he says, he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. His goal is restoration. Proverbs 29.15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. If you're in the midst of discipline, seek to understand. Seek to learn. That's exactly why you're in the midst of the discipline. So, discipline is painful. Discipline is purposeful. We also learn in Jeremiah that we need to receive discipline in faith. We need to receive discipline in faith. Jeremiah 32 is... It's a really cool chapter. I'm going to kind of break it down for you. But I encourage you to, to go and read it. It's, it's hilarious and, and bizarre. So here's what's going on. Jeremiah is in jail in Jerusalem because King Zedekiah doesn't like what Jeremiah has been telling him. 
Jeremiah has been saying, hey, you know what? You guys are going to go into exile. Um, you guys are going to be captured. And, and Zedekiah is like, I don't, why are you saying that? Like, don't say those things. I'm throwing you in jail. So Jeremiah is sitting in jail. While this is happening, the city of Jerusalem that they're in is under siege. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are outside of the city, laying siege to the city. Clearly, Zedekiah has some other things he needs to be worrying about, but he's griping about Jeremiah. And he comes and he's like, Jeremiah, why are you saying these things? And Jeremiah's response to King Zedekiah is, well, God told me to buy a field. And so I bought it. And here's the deed. That's his response to King Zedekiah. Why are you saying these things? God told me to buy a field, so I did. And and then <laughs> Jeremiah goes to God and he's like, okay, God, what's the deal with the field? Why did you ask me <laughs> to buy this field? I did it. I've got the deed in hand. But why did you ask me to buy this field? And you know how sometimes when you ask someone a question and they start answering but you, they, they, they do this to get to the answer. You know, they just take the long route. Like, come on, give me my answer. Nope. God starts answering Jeremiah and he takes the long route. And he starts out by talking about, um, let's see, let me, let me go back. Where am I here? I'm, I'm getting so excited. <laughs> so, so, God starts out by, by talking about, see, uh, Jeremiah, as Jeremiah is talking to God, and this is where I got mixed up a little bit, Jeremiah says, God, look, like, I get that, like, these people have been disobedient, and you, you brought them out of Egypt, and now they just haven't obeyed you, and yada, 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 but again, like, God, what's the deal with the field? And, and God starts talking, and he's saying, look, I am disciplining them. They didn't obey me. They didn't follow the things that I have done. So, I, I discipline them. But... At some point, I am going to restore them, and I am going to bring them back. Start in verse 40. Verse 40. He says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Ready? For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land, of which you are saying it's a desolation without man or beast. It's given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Because when Jeremiah bought this field, by the way, it was like three miles outside of the city. Okay? So it's not like he was going to go there. Like, I'm buying this field. I, I'm in jail. But even if I get out of jail, like, we're still under siege and stuck in this city. So why am I buying this field out there? God says in verse 44, Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, which all of that took place in the jail cell. In the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. 
So Jeremiah buying this field is an illustration of God's promise to restore. But it took faith for Jeremiah to buy the field. To believe that God would come through on his promise. To believe that God had good in mind. Keep your finger in Jeremiah and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 4 to 11 say this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, this is out of Proverbs, a quote from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Oh. We're told to be subject. I'm going to click ahead here. We're told to be subject to the discipline of the Lord. That takes faith. We're told that our discipline is for our good. That takes faith as well. Discipline seems painful and says, yes, we talked about that, that it's painful. But then it says that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline is purposeful. God has intentionality behind his discipline. Not only did he for the nation of Israel, but so he does for us. So, God disciplines Israel. In doing so, he expects them to repent. He expects us to repent. See, we don't go straight from discipline to restoration. It would be nice if we did. But we need to repent. It's no good to go through discipline and not come out changed. And we see this in Jeremiah 31. Flip back over to Jeremiah. You all kept your fingers there, right? Good. Good job, Micah. Jeremiah 31. Look at verses 18 to 20. It says, I have heard Ephraim grieving. Remember, Ephraim, referring to the ten northern tribes, referring to the nation of Israel. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined, like an untrained calf. Bring me back, that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. For after I have turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. And then here's God's response. Is he from my dear son? (laughs) 
Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Now, uh, when it says that he struck my thigh, that's just a physical act of remorse. But what's important to notice in here is that he says, I relented. Left what he was doing to follow after God's ways. See, God expects repentance of Israel. He expects changed lives. Now, though there's just this little snippet here that speaks directly to repentance, there's quite a few verses, even in this passage, that show the change that God expects of Israel. Plenty of these examples talk about Israel being my people. He says, you shall be my people. They shall be my people. It's not like the nation of Israel stopped being God's people. They had just stopped acting like it. So when God says that they shall be my people, it's not like you weren't my people and now you are again. It's more, uh, you will start acting like it again. So there's repentance and an expectation of change in these verses. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but it says, they shall serve the Lord their God. You shall be my people. Watchmen will call. Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. They will give praise. With pleas for mercy, I will bring them back. I will make them walk in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I will give them one heart and one way that they will fear me forever. There shall be heard again the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Mm. See, there's a step of repentance that needs to happen. God expects their lives to be different after going through the discipline that they are. And God expects the same of us. We just read it in Hebrews 12.10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. This is what God desires for us. We go through discipline to be made right, to to repent, to change our ways. So if you've been struggling with habitual sin, today is the day to repent. Bring it before God and bring someone in to keep you accountable. So we've talked about discipline. We've talked about Israel's and our need to repent. And now let's see how God promised to restore and eventually restored the nation of Israel. First of all, God promised to restore and did restore them physically. God restored physically. He brought them back to the land. He promises uh, in this passage that he's going to bring them back. He says it's going to be rebuilt and regrown. At the end of chapter 31, 
He says, Behold, the days are coming. This is starting in verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord, from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Gareb, and shall, re- uh, shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. Lots of names in here. Here's what's going on. Those are pointing to different corners of the temple and the temple area and the surrounding area behind it. What God is saying in here is he's saying, this whole area I'm going to restore. Think of it as him saying, I'm going to restore from Mountain View all the way down to Gilroy and Las Gatas to Milpitas. He's pointing to different areas and saying, all of this I am going to restore. He's giving them geographical clues to say, I'm going to bring this back. The areas that you know are going to be restored again. And he even talks in this area about areas that um, were polluted And he's saying, I'm going to restore those as well. They're not going to be polluted anymore. In 32, uh, 44, he does this again, and we we just read it. Um, But he talks about uh, the land of Benjamin, the places around Jerusalem, cities of Judah, the hill country, the the Shephelah, uh, the Negev. Uh, And again, he's pointing to different areas throughout the nation of Judah and saying, I am going to restore all of this. Let me give you actual pointers to say this area and this area and this area. I am going to restore. It's going to be regrown as well. In 31, 27 to 28, It says, Behold, the days are coming when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so also I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. He's gonna, they're gonna be brought back to the land. It's going to be rebuilt and regrown. It's also going to be abundant. And we also see that they're going to be protected. In 30 verses 18 to 20, he says, I will punish all who oppress them. And I love this one, just in uh, chapter 31, verse 26, it says, Jeremiah says, at this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. And I'm sure that was the first time in a long time that Jeremiah finally got a good night's sleep. And even something as simple as that, God's restoring. But even more than restoring them physically, God says he's going to restore them relationally. Four times in this passage, he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. He's restoring that relationship. There's a relational tightness uh, in 31 Verses 9 through 14, but I'm just going to read verse 9. It says, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water. Sound familiar? Psalm 23. In a straight path in which they shall not stumble. 
for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. There's a relational tightness that he's promising to them. This is the fruit of their discipline and repentance. Now, it's really important to notice whose work this is. Because it's not theirs. In this passage, he says, I will restore. I will multiply them. I will build you. I will bring them. I will make them walk. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them. I will have mercy on them. I will put my law on them. I, I, I. The restoration of their relationship with God was not their doing. It was all God. And that's really important to catch. Because far be it from us to give Israel all the credit. Hey, great job. You know, you really responded well to all of that discipline and exile. And you kind of shaped up your act. Way to go, guys. No, not a chance. That's God's work. Now, here's the last part of this restoration. And that's Jesus. Wait, hold on, Ben. Aren't we in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are. We read it in chapter 30, verse 9, when it talks about David, their king. It's not talking about that David's going to come back from the dead and be brought back again. But rather, when he references David, their king, it's a reference to a future king. That is the epitome of what a king should be. That's a reference to Jesus. But look in chapter 33. Verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The rest of the passage in in chapter 33 points ahead to Jesus. See, God's ultimate plan from the beginning was to send Jesus, the righteous branch, Let me read to you out of Romans 5. It says this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus was and is God's ultimate plan of restoration. Through Jesus, you and I have been restored. There are many times when we choose what we want when we walk according to our desires instead of what God thinks is best. 
So there's relational restoration that needs to happen throughout your walk with Jesus. But though we do need to walk through discipline, confess sins, and repent many times, the ultimate work of restoration has already been done. This is why the title is in the past tense. The work of Christ is finished. It's done. God's heart is for restoration. His plan always was and still is Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection is how he ultimately restored his relationship with us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Oh. What else can I say but thank you? What else do I have to offer but my eternal gratitude? God, uh, I don't deserve to be restored. I don't deserve to be made right. But God, you've welcomed me in. You've called me your own. You've made me a child. And so God, I can confidently say that I am a child of God simply because of the good work that you have done. Through Jesus. Ah, oh, thank you so much that even here, as you're talking to the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel that's in exile and underneath discipline, you promise restoration. And not just physical restoration and relational restoration, but you promise Jesus. Oh, thank you so much for that. God, to see your hand and your heart for restoration from the beginning of time. And so, God, we know that you are continuing to restore even until today. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.